0: thought about um, the motivation of God? That's what I want to talk about today. Think about, we could say Jesus is love, Jesus is loving, but when you really start to break down like what motivates the heart of God, I think is so central to your thoughts about God, your view of God, how you experience God or don't experience God. Uh, think about, it, like have you ever been around somebody that just is manipulative? Anybody know those people in your life like you know like i 'm being totally taken advantage of right now. Have you ever had those interactions where you 're just like, "Oh man, no matter how nice they 're being, I know that they have something else going, another motive, an ulterior idea that they 're trying to kind of, you know, work me, right, and, and and manipulate me to get me to go with them or go on their um, terms or in their idea or in their direction. I was talking with a friend this week, and we were texting, and he was like, man, I, he just said this, this text to me, I sure hope we're not being hoodwinked. <laughs> I'm like, I've, I've never said that, and I kind of like, I kind of laughed at that that statement. He's like, you know, like bamboozled. <laughs> and I was like, I haven't thought of that word either, in like forever he goes, you know, boondoggled anybody like he goes, how about this one hornswoggled. anybody heard of that like like that's like like am I being taken advantage of? somebody like kind of have something else? Is there another shoe that 's going to drop? Is there another idea that that's going to emerge? Am I being tricked right now, duped right now, and I think that that many of us if we're we're really honest, maybe we haven't really wrestled with the motive or the motivation of God and haven't really looked at it because if if we're really kind of thinking about our own lives, many of us have been hurt, been betrayed, been hoodwinked, been taken advantage of. And maybe you have authority figures in your past that were like that for you. And so you look at authority figures with a bit of disdain and mistrust. And, and many of us even have started to color our view of God, our our. our understanding of God or or look at Jesus. Even Christmas for some of us is maybe a little difficult to celebrate and get on board with because we're not really sure still. Can we really trust his heart? Can we trust God's motivation? Is he really somebody that good and that pure and that really did come to, to die for us and save us from our sin? Or is there something else going on? Uh, maybe it doesn't play out that dramatically in life. Maybe it's just maybe a little hesitancy you find yourself with when it comes to the presence of God. Many of you have seen God in the Old Testament, and you've seen judgment and swift judgment and entire groups of people being swallowed up into the ground. You're like, uh, what do we do with that? Is that like loving God? And, and you find yourself maybe thinking about God and thinking about Jesus with this little bit of a, of a hesitation in your heart of like, can I really enter into his presence? Can I really go before him boldly? Is there maybe a question in your heart about some of the sins that you've committed this week and the fears you've wrestled with and the pain that's um, been caused in your life that leads you to maybe question, why did God let these things happen? And how could he have? And if he really is loving, why is this still so difficult and hard in my life? Lots of experiences, lots of different views start to color our view of God and kind of blur really the, the definition of who He is and what His motivations are. And man, my heart is that we as Jesus Church would be, be very, very passionate about His presence and actually encountering Him in real life changing ways, whether you know. Not my, my dream is always that people walking through these doors that have no idea how good God is and they experience his love and their lives are changed forever, just in a moment. I mean, that's always been my dream is that, that we would be a people that actually press in and hunger for and experience the presence of God in real life-changing ways. And, and, and yet I, I could see the hesitancy for many of us. And that tension is real. And I think that's, that's something that I, I just feel like we need to kind of wrestle with because if Jesus wasn't really love, If his motivation wasn't loving, then we are are of the most pitied people on this planet. Because here's here's what we preach. We preach that God loves us, sent his son to die for us, and that we are now putting our hope of all eternity in this God who loves us. But if he didn't really love us, if he has some other motive, some other thing going on, another agenda that he's going to surprise us with at the end of all things, then we are of the most pitied people on this planet. I really think that we are staking everything on the love of God that's displayed in Jesus. And so, so to have confidence, to have a, a conviction in your heart that says, no, 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 God loves me. That it doesn't just kind of have some mental kind of understanding for you, but it's deeply impacting your soul, your life, your decisions, the way you're navigating difficulty and things in your life. Man, that is, that's the desire that that God put inside of me as I was putting this, this message together is that, God, we want to be changed because of your love. We want things that have been broken in our lives to be healed by, by the power of your love, things that have been torn apart and, and kind of like uh, shredded in our lives. Lord, I, I see you putting them back together and make, making those things whole in your love. And I, I long for us to experience his love in a deeply, deeply impacting way. So let's look at a few scriptures. These scriptures help us just to kind of understand the love of God. John chapter 3. This isn't the Christmas story. This is really the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's talking to a religious leader. He's talking to a guy that religiously has had it all together all of his life. I mean, he's one of the elite. His name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night because he's afraid of maybe what other religious people are thinking of him. And in John chapter 3, Jesus begins to talk to Nicodemus and show him what he's really like. And in verse 16, Jesus breaks it down so simply. He's like, listen, God so loved the world. I want you to hear the motive of God. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. This is why Jesus came at Christmas, because God loves humanity. Because he saw us lost and separated and broken and desperate and torn apart and and longed to put things back together, to make things whole and right, and to fill us with peace and strength. And like this is the motivation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Listen to this next verse here. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. It's like he needs to clarify for Nicodemus. He's, he's clarifying for somebody that's maybe struggling with their view of God. Wondering if maybe if I mess up religiously, then maybe God's going to not like me anymore and cast me out and keep me at a distance. And so I need to keep up the ritual, the routine, the rigor of all of this religion that I've bought into. And, And Jesus is like, Nicodemus, you need to take a breath. I didn't come to condemn the world. I didn't come to bring shame and condemnation. I came to save the world. That's what he says. Motivation of God is that he so loved the world. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Think about how clarifying this is. If you want to understand who Jesus is, here's Jesus talking about himself, talking about why he came. He came with this heart of love inside him to save, not to condemn I love that distinction. Everybody that doesn't know Jesus is already feeling and standing condemned. Nobody needs more of that in their life. Jesus came to bring salvation, to came to save, to set people who are enslaved with condemnation free and help them experience who God really is, the love of God, the joy that is found in salvation. I love hearing this motivation of God. Look at 1 John chapter 4 with me. i put it here on the screen. This is how God showed his love among us. God showed, made manifest, made known his love among us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I love this. This is love. This is a definition of love. I think that's part of the problem is a lot of us have broken definitions of love. And we take those broken definitions and we begin to put them on God, question God's motive, Question God's desire for us. This is love. That, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Look at Romans chapter five with me for just a moment. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless. I love that phrase. That phrase speaks to those of us that struggle with... Um, a system of measurement when it comes to our relationship with God. Those of us that have kind of got these addition and subtraction rules, as long as I keep up A, B, and C and don't do X, Y, and Z, then God and me are pretty good. But the more A, B, and C I got in my life, I better better watch out for the, the X, Y, and Z a little bit harder. And we find ourselves kind of in this measuring place, Paul, who's writing Romans chapter 5 here, you got to understand his background. He's just like Nicodemus. He's one of the most religious of all religious guys that has ever walked this planet. They have got it right day in and day out for, 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 for so many years. Yet here he is putting a stake in the ground. He's saying, you know what? At just the right time when we were still powerless, when we didn't have anything to offer God, when we didn't have any righteousness of our own, when we didn't have anything to depend on, Christ died for the ungodly. Not for the ones that got it all figured out. He died for the ones that are struggling in sin and shame and guilt. That's who Christ died for. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. See what he's doing? He's beginning to take that measurement system that we have. He's starting to dismantle it here. Very rarely would somebody die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, right? Like, think of that person who you would die for. I mean, who is that person? Maybe you're a parent or grandparent and you think of your kids, you know, man, I would give my life for them so that they could, they've got so much life ahead of them and I've I've already lived so much. Maybe there's a person that you know is going to make a deep, profound impact on this planet and you're like, oh man, I would give my life so that they could go make the impact that that they're gonna have. My life, it's just, it's almost over or whatever. You know, you kind of have this this system and Paul's like, no, 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 no. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's so critical about this? is that you get to see the motive of God right here displayed in this. That Jesus comes on earth at Christmas is a demonstration of God's love, that he wasn't coming with a condition in mind. We say this about the love of God, it's unconditional. Anybody heard this before? Yeah, it's unconditional. What does that mean? It means that while we were still sinners, when we had nothing, no credibility, we had no ability to make ourselves right with God, we had nothing that was, was like a give and take with God. That's when Jesus chose to die. And here's what just overwhelms me about his choice to die in our place was that he did so unconditionally without any kind of prerequisites. You know, if most of humanity, if 85% of humanity surrenders to me and puts their faith in me, then I'll die. 50%, what what if that was his his criteria? I'll die if as long as 50% of humanity puts their faith in me after I die. Think of this. There was none of that criteria. Jesus went to the cross on our behalf knowing that much, if not maybe all of humanity would never choose the salvation that he is offering as this free gift to all mankind. Unconditional. That's what makes it so powerful. That's what makes definition of love so real is that it's not a give and take. It's not God going, you know, if if you can just kind of keep up your end of the bargain, then I'll, I'll keep loving you. It is God making a decision based on his character and his nature that he has decided that he loves us. And he is going to send his son to die in our place. And there is nothing that is gonna stop God's heart because his heart is motivated by love. I love Isaiah 54, 10 says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Even if this entire world crumbles, the love of God's not going to change. Isn't that good news? And if everything in this, in this government falls apart, the love of God is not going to be shaken. If everything in, in, in this world, the wars continue and the pain and disease persists, like nothing is going to shake the love of God. And I just think, like, how powerful for us to to be impacted by that and not just try to go through our lives like like that doesn't mean something to us. Like that that doesn't actually shape us. That's, That's why Jesus came is so that you and I would have proof that we would have this moment every single year at Christmas to be confronted with the reality of God's love. You may feel like you need to stay at a distance from God because of your definition of love and the brokenness that you've experienced, but here is how good God's love is. that He's like, if you even never choose me, I'm still drawing near. I'm still coming to this planet. I'm going to walk amongst you. I'm going to be tempted the way you've been tempted. I'm going to walk in the dirt and the pain and the suffering and I'm going to die in your place. Even if you never, ever choose God and reciprocate a bit of that love back to him. That's how pure his motivation is. To me, that That has to impact our hearts. That has to shape who we are. That has to shape our view of God. That has to shape how we see this world. That has to shape how we interact with family and friends. And I think that that's that's my desire in this conversation, Lord, that you would move us and impact us in a way that we're actually changed. That we begin to be transformed from the inside. I don't, I don't. Pretend We were talking about this last night, my wife and I. I don't pretend like just one Sunday is going to make all the difference in your life. It comes incrementally, bit by bit, day after day as you are engaging in the presence of God. But, but God, would you start something today? Like a, like, a, like a snowball that begins to grow and, and build momentum in our hearts and our lives over time, that your love would just begin to overwhelm us and consume us and redefine us and change us and shape us and heal all those things that have been broken in our lives, God. Would your love actually begin to impact who we are, God? And I see us changed by his love. One way that you're massively changed when you are impacted by his love is, is your confidence. If you're taking notes today, it's this, Confidence. When you come face to face with the love of God in Christ Jesus, your confidence grows so much. <laughs> you, you are not, no longer like controlled by this anxiety of performance. Think about what insecurity is. I'm not measuring up. I don't have what it takes. Jesus is like, nope, and I love you. You don't have any of that, but I love you anyway. I love you for who you are and where you've been and what you've done. I love you. None of his love is dependent on our performance. So often we talk about self-confidence. That's so fleeting. When you can have a confidence that's grounded in the love of God, that's grounded in the purest of love, a love that is not dependent on your performance, that's not dependent on your religion and on your effort, it's not dependent on you shaping the perfect life, and accomplishing all the things that you are setting out to accomplish. Is it great to accomplish stuff? Yes, I love that. I love succeeding. I love winning. I love all of that. But that is not where our confidence comes from. Who you are, the strength of your your life does not come from your performance and the pressure that you put on yourself. That is the most lifeless, pain-filled way to live. Confidence, I I love confidence. First John chapter 4, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. I love that phrase, rely on the love that God has for us. Not only do we know it, but we begin to rely on it. We begin to make decisions based on it. Well, if God is for me, who can be against me? Paul says things like that. Huh. That's true. If he is for me, who could stand against me? <laughs> if, if he loves me, then what, what could keep me from his purpose and his will? God is love, John writes. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will, listen, have confidence on the day of judgment, confidence. There is a judgment day coming. We are all gonna stand before God one day. My hope and the reason we preach the good news about Jesus Christ all the time is that you would receive the gift of salvation now so that one day when you stand before God at that judgment day, you would stand there with confidence. Here's what's so good. We talked about his humanity last week, right? Is that his humanity becomes this sacrifice, this substitute of his perfection for all of our imperfection. So that when we stand in that judgment seat one day, we are not gonna stand there based on our own merit and our own religion and our own kind of list of things we've done because none of that measures up to God's standard of perfection. But we stand there with confidence in the love that Jesus has for us and that he came to save us and make us right with God. That's good news, right? That, that is the confidence that we have. I love how he writes this. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. It's almost like if you got a fear problem, we got a love problem, right? If if we're anxious and stressed and frantic and consumed with all these things that are are pressurizing our hearts, maybe maybe we're not really grounded and impacted deeply by the love that God has for us. And so God, would your love just consume me and fill me and change me and make me somebody who is confident in your love? The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Fear has to do with punishment, he says. We don't gotta fear punishment if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't gotta fear that judgment day. We don't gotta fear what people can do to us. We don't gotta fear where this world goes and how things fall apart. We don't got to fear any of that when our confidence is in the love that is in Jesus Christ. I love Hebrews chapter four. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Listen, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let us enter in boldly so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, that's, that's the picture I have of us as Jesus' church. We have things in our lives that are desperate for the mercy of God. We have needs, we have pain, we have sorrow and suffering. We have difficulty all around us. But the confidence that comes in the love of God is that we can enter into his presence confidently, boldly, asking him, not one that's far off and doesn't care about our our weaknesses, but one that empathizes with us in every one of those weaknesses because he has walked in these shoes. Because he has experienced what we've experienced, and he loves us, and he is so excited to help you in your time of need, to pour out his mercy, his grace, his strength in those times of need. That's the confidence that God wants to give us when we walk into his presence. That's why we're so passionate about his presence around here. That's why we're so passionate about you spending daily time in his presence. He wants to help you in those times of need. He wants to meet you there, shape you there, and move in your life in such a powerful way. It's because of his love that we have confidence. We gotta just kind of let this settle in for a second. God loves you. He is for you. He has plans for you. He sees your future. He knows your past. And he has such good things in store. I and mean, just let it sit for a second that the God of the universe loves you. The one who spoke this creation into existence. has called you by name. He's brought you here today. He has purpose for your life. There's so much that he sees and speaks over his favor. So good. And when you're rooted in his love, established in his love, confidence begins to grow in your heart this way. When you pray, you pray differently. You approach this throne room of grace differently. You approach with confidence. You go, God, you, you've got good things in store for me today, don't you? <laughs> That's how we pray. We pray with a confidence. God, you've got, you've got an amazing day ahead of me. Lord, you, you've got your favor on my kids' lives, Lord. You have gone ahead of them. You have opened doors for them, Lord. I am believing with all of my heart that you have the perfect spouse, the young man that you are shaping for my daughters right now in the name of Jesus, right? Like, like you can pray with confidence. God's got a hold of those young men's heart. I know that. I don't know who they are yet, but I know that God has got a hold of those men's heart. And I I just go, God, we have this confidence when we pray now. We're not groveling before our God like he's mad at us and ready to stomp on us and squish us. No, he loves you. Oh, he loves you so much. He wants to be in presence with you. He wants to hear your concern and, and understand your pains and your pressures. And he wants to be with you in that and lead you out of that. We pray with such confidence because of the love of God. The other thing that's changed, not only is confidence brought into your life when you're impacted by the love of God, but so is peace. If you're taking notes, peace When you are grounded, rooted, established in the love of God, peace marks your life. Think about how much anxiety and straining and striving comes because we are insecure and wondering about our identity and wondering about our significance and wondering about our success and whether or not we're doing good enough and if, if we're acceptable and if people would like us and then you get in relationships and then there's brokenness in our relationships and then it reinforces all the anxieties. See, I knew I wasn't a good husband or a good wife or I knew I couldn't raise kids well or whatever. Like there's that constant stress and pressure that starts to come when we're not rooted. But when we are rooted in the love of God, impacted deeply by the love of God, Romans chapter 8 becomes so powerful. Listen to the peace that comes out of this passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Paul asks. Who could do it? I mean, if, if, if he came when we are at our very worst, what is it that could get in the way of his love? Ha, I love this question. It's so, so powerful. Shall, shall trouble or hardship or persecution Famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Should any of that? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, I, I am convinced, I love this language, I am convinced that, that, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, amen, can separate us from his love. Nothing. This is where the peace comes from. All fear is quieted because we know that nothing can cast us out from his love. There's no mistake that we can make. There's no past that we have. There is no sickness that we can endure. There's no difficulty in this life that can separate us from the love of God. See, the enemy of your soul he's always preying on our our insecurities, he's preying on your weaknesses, he's preying on your mistakes, and he jumps in in those moments of weakness and sin, and he begins to speak shame over your life. See? See? You aren't. You don't have what it takes. And those lies then begin to perpetuate an, an anxiety in our heart and a worrisome way of going about life and a distance between us and God. We feel like our, our, our peace is getting zapped and, and sapped from us, and so we're, we're kind of distant from God and finding ourselves cowering in his presence instead of entering boldly. And see, the enemy loves to speak these lies over our lives, and it's so important to have a passage like Romans 8 just deep, deep inside your heart that says, you know what? Nothing. Devil, no matter what you're speaking over my life, no matter what lies you're telling me, nothing. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. No nothing, no sickness, no hardship, no trial, no famine, no sword, nothing. Angels nor demons, nothing can separate me from God's love. See that that that's the kind of peace that you and I are changed by 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 when we're encountering the love of God.